Hi, and welcome back to the Multifaceted Athlete with Coaching Lutz. I'm your host, Kelly Lutz. I am a USGA certified running and ultra running coach and certified strength and conditioning specialist. I am so excited to have you here today. We'll be talking all about running, aspects of running, strength training, and anything else that makes us humans who do sports. So let's dive right into this episode. I hope you love it. Hello, welcome back to another week of the Multifaceted Athlete. This week I have another guest on and she was on last year uh, at the end of 2022. Jess Schneer has joined me again on the podcast. Jess and I have become really good friends between last recording and this recording, so I thought it would be fun to have her on to talk more about herself because last episode we talked about diversity in trail and ultra running, which is a very important topic, but you didn't get to really know about Jess, and she's super cool. So in this episode, we spend time talking about her experience with Coaches of Color Initiative. She was the first recipient um of the program and then we talk about some just some coaching conversations between the two of us because we are both coaches and this is the bulk of what our texting is like so it's kind of like peering into our everyday conversations but captured on the podcast and then we dive into some of her running goals for this year and her recent experience of winning her freaking 50k a couple weeks ago at this point but I think with this conversation with Jess there is so many little nuggets you can take away so much you can learn from her and if you don't already you should be following her because she is just an amazing person super fun to follow and I'm just honored to know her, honestly. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jess. Welcome back to another week of the Multifaceted Athlete. This week, I'm joined by a guest, and y'all should know her. She's been on before. Jess Schneer, fellow running coach, is back to chat more about herself than last time. Our last episode, we talked a lot about diversity in trail and ultra running. So Jess, I'm very excited to hear more about you and your running goals in this episode. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. I know it's going to be a good episode because we've already spent like 15 minutes talking to each other (laughs) pre-episode, so I know it's going to be a good one and I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, and this I think this is really exciting because we've become a lot better friends since last time we recorded, so it's more like this is literally just what our texts and conversations are like. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. We text literally like every day now, I think, and especially now that you are going to be coaching full-time. I'm so excited. Congratulations again. I haven't had a chance to tell you that in person, Um, but yeah, we text already every day, and I'm excited that we're probably going to text every hour now (laughs) that you have more time. (laughs) Yeah, it's been so helpful. We didn't really intend to talk about this, but part of why – I felt more comfortable diving in full-time is because I have someone like you to talk to. So, <laughs> Yay. Oh, that makes me so happy. I think it's so cool um, to see you know more people you know, take the dive into the coaching world. And I think it is kind of a, a scary jump for sure. But if you have people there for you to you know ask questions or support you, um, I think that is a huge help. And that's one of the reasons why I was able to make the big jump is because I had people to, to talk to and look up to. Um, and you know, I'm sure same with you having people to talk to. Um, you know, I think all the connections you made with Endeavor Run was a big help too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just been really, really exciting for me to see that um, with you too. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely super helpful. And I guess this is a good segue. We weren't going to tackle this first, yeah. <laughs> but 
Let's talk a little bit about your experience with the Coaches of Color Initiative because you were the recipient. Is that the right word? Yes, that's the, Yep, we can call it that. <laughs> <laughs> recipient, first participant uh, last year. Yep. And it was, was it the full year or was it nine months? Yeah, it was the full year. Um, they recently just switched it to nine months um, so that we can mm-hmm. kind of get more people cycled in and out. Um, but basically, yeah, I was the first recipient of the Coaches of Color Initiative. Um, and that's just basically a huge um, coaching apprenticeship and scholarship, um, getting more people of color into the coaching industry. Um, it's a really, really incredible program. And it's been really cool to see from when I started until now how much it's grown. Um, so that's been really, really exciting. Um, and it's cool because I've gotten to see the next two apprentices be, um, I guess, built, um, brought on into the apprenticeship program um, this year. So it's been really neat to to be a part of that. <laughs> Yeah. And for those who aren't aware, the Coaches of Color Initiative is led by our friends Matt Fitzgerald and Coach B, who is recently on the podcast, um, with the goal of getting more coaches of color into endurance coaching. Um, I'm curious, how did you first hear about it? Yeah. So I was actually, so I've always read Trail Runner Magazine. I just really enjoyed um, all of their articles that they put out about training theory um, and then also um, how important you can tell that um, diversity um, in the endurance space is to this particular company. Um, so Trail Runner has been just one that I followed a lot. And I think it just came up as an ad um, on maybe my Facebook or when I was reading an article or something. And I saw an article come up um, about the Coach's Color Initiative and basically the applications were open. Um, and I read it and I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. What a neat program. And then I closed out and didn't think about it again. Um, But then it came up again, um, I think, as another ad, um, like maybe the second time. And then the third time comes around and I was like, well, actually, this kind of applies to me. Like, I didn't really think about it at the time. But, you know, coaching is something that I had kind of done a little bit low key, um, just coaching some some friends for free here and there. Um, And I had always thought, like, coaching would be really, really cool to do someday, 10 years down the line you know, when, after I do on the side for so many years and kind of build my brand that way. Um, but then I started thinking about it more and more. And it's just one of those things that's like, it's in the back of your mind. It's there, you think about it all the time, um, but you never really act on it. And finally, I was like, I should just put an application in. Like, what if, is there any reason for me to not put an application in? What's the worst could happen? I get an email that says no. So that was not a big deal to me at all. So I was like, okay, let's work on this application. Um, And as I started working on it more and more, I started to realize like, oh, yeah, this is actually something that's really meaningful to me, both via me wanting to be a coach someday, but also I really like the program um, and what they prioritize and kind of what their goals are in the endurance industry. And I thought of it not only as a way for me to become a coach, but also for me to help make an impact for hopefully many coaches in the future, too, um, by, you know, being a part of this program, you know, make connections, get to meet a lot of other coaches of color hopefully help with them too. Um, so that's kind of when I started working on the application. Um, and then I submitted it and again, kind of forgot about it, just, you know, sent on my way, did not think that I was going to get it. Um, but then, um, I don't remember a few weeks later after I submitted my application, I found out that I did get the, um, apprenticeship program, which was a huge surprise. Um, and honestly, it came at a really timely point in my life because I had recently just finished up my master's. Um, in Iowa. And 
was also right around the time um, of like COVID. So I was kind of working mm-hmm. remotely um, from San Diego where I live now um, and was kind of wrapping up the project that I had been working on um, with my research um, lab at Iowa State. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> we're already trans- transitioning careers right now. San Diego is a very difficult place to get a good job, um, a well-paying job kind of in the field that I wanted to work in. Um, so I just started to dive in and just really, really went headfirst into the coaching world. And now I'm doing that full time. So it's been really crazy, super wild that like the trajectory of my life has changed so drastically just because of this one program. But it's been really, really neat. Super thankful for that. Yeah, it's crazy how things come at like the exact time that you need them sometimes. Yeah, really, it really is. That's something that I, when I look back on this program, like, wow, if this would have been one year sooner or one year later, my life would have been so, so different. So Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that it just so happened to to work out that way. Yeah. So was this before you were involved in Endeavor Run? Yes, this was before. Actually, I was involved in Endeavor Run because of the Coaches of Color Initiative. Um, oh. They actually brought me out. Um, this was in February 2022. <laughs> yeah, this last year um, to Austin. Um, and they brought me out actually kind of as a hybrid participant slash coach. Um, at that point, I hadn't really felt like I had coached enough of my own athletes to be a coach to the people at Endeavor Run. But um, I was still there as someone who was knowledgeable in the art of coaching and training theory, um, but was mostly there as kind of a hybrid, both athlete and coach. Um, and they, I think they really just wanted to bring me out there to just meet everyone um, because mm-hmm. Matt was there, Coach B was there. Um, so it was just kind of a nice opportunity for me to go. Um, and then basically from there, I got invited back to Boulder um, as a full coach that time. And then San Diego was also just convenient because I live in San Diego, but was also a coach there. Um, so yeah, from there on, I just kind of started working with Endeavor Run, um, became really good friends with Jake too, and then got to meet a lot of cool people, you included, which I'm super thankful for. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about what the program entailed? Yeah, totally. So basically to kind of start things out in January, was my first month, um, I guess, as an apprentice. And I started off shadowing Matt. Um, So basically, we met um, once or twice a week, usually twice with Matt, um, just kind of talking about coaching, just having conversations, kind of like what we have, um, just about training or the art of coaching or anything like that. Um, And I'd also kind of shadow him with his athletes. So I would occasionally join Mm -hmm. in on his athlete calls, would just kind of sit on Zoom and listen to him be a coach. Um, Occasionally, give some advice, but most of the time it's Matt Fitzgerald. So like, what kind of advice do I need to give? Cause he's a great coach. Um, so there was that. And then there's just a few other things like sitting in on some of the 80, 20, um, endurance calls that they would have with some of their subscriber athletes. I don't really know um, how all that works, but a lot of their athletes would have calls too and would occasionally sit on in their meetings. Um, kind of just seeing a lot of the behind the scenes work of what day in the life of Matt Fitzgerald is like. (laughs) Um, And then from then on, each month, I would basically shadow somebody new within the apprenticeship program. So Coach B, I shadowed for a month. Um, And then everybody else on the advisory board, I got to see um, what they do um, and then basically get any help from them too. So obviously through all of this, I was also building my own um, business, building my own coaching profile and everything. So 
I was getting a lot of advice from them and help from them on, you know, what can I do to make things best for me, basically. So whether that was like building my website or how to make an LLC, there's just so many things that you don't think about when you start as a coach that there's actually a lot of other technical things. So it's just nice to have somebody there to be like, how do I file for an LLC? Or like, you know, what website do I go through or anything like that? So um, kind of having that um, in the background also. I was also watching them all do their their jobs and their things. <laughs> that sounds so helpful because we've done a lot of the same certifications and yes. we've talked about this a bit. Like all of that is great. Obviously, the knowledge is necessary, totally. but something that's missing is like how to actually apply it to athletes. And right. like, like you're saying, the art of coaching, not just the science of coaching. Right, exactly. Because it is such a huge part of like interacting with people. Like I have not found a certification yet that has told me how to deal with my athlete after, you know, they have a bad week of just work stress or life stress. Like Mm -hmm. we don't, you don't really talk about those things in certifications because they're directed towards, well, what's the training theory or, you know, why do we do this workout at this phase of this, you know, cycle or whatever it might be. But in reality, you know, yes, that stuff is definitely important, of course, but there's becomes a lot more balancing of people's lives and their emotions and all those things too. So it definitely is a huge art. I mean, that's something that I think just comes with practice and seeing, you know, other coaches and how they do it, um, which is why I'm so grateful to have you. <laughs> I know it's so nice to just have somebody to text and be like, you know, what do you do in this situation or anything like that? So that's been um, super nice to have those connections. Yeah, that has been really helpful for me. Just being able to reach out to you and be like, I'm dealing with this right now. What would you do? (laughs) Totally. And it is so nice even just to say like, what would you do? Because Mm -hmm. while we might not have necessarily the same exact um, reaction or response to an athlete, it's probably going to be pretty similar because you and I both have our athletes interests at our hearts um, and, you know, at the, you know, um, the base of all of our responses. Um, So it's just really nice to have, um, you know, ideas to bounce off with each other. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. What did you find was the most helpful piece of the um, initiative? Yeah, I think definitely the connections. I know we just spent the whole time talking about that, but really being connected with Matt, being connected with Coach B, Angelina, all of the people on the advisory board was just really, really nice because I even know now, which is one of the also really nice things about the program is it is small. So even though I'm technically graduated and I'm no longer apprentice, I still know that I can reach out to Matt if I have a question or I can reach out to Angelina or Kevin if I have a question about my website or whatever it might be. Um, They're there for me and they're just resources that I can always reach out to. And I think that's the most important. Um, I think also I don't want to miss out on saying this. It wasn't the most important part, but I think also looking at the financial side of things um, as part of the apprenticeship Um, There is a grant portion of it too. Um, And I think that's obviously was a huge help for me to make the transition to coaching is having that financial support. Because as I noted before, I was at a transition point in my career anyways. So I was like, well, it's not much, but it's enough that I can get by um, with, I have a husband too. So that was helpful that he has a salary. Um, But of course, like having my own income is important. Um, So having that um, scholarship portion, the grant portion of it was very, very helpful for me as I was transitioning towards full-time coaching. And now it's really nice because I obviously don't have the grant portion anymore, but I can support myself on my own without that. So I think it's also important to note that there is a huge financial side of things to that. And also what's really, really important for me to point out, I think is Matt, you know, really, really put a lot of his own time and money into this too. 
Um, so obviously they do a lot of fundraising, but the grant itself wasn't the only financial aspect of this. So they also brought me out to the Endeavor Run retreats, paid for my flights, all of those things there, paying for my certification course. Um, Matt sent me like 6,000 books <laughs> throughout my year. <laughs> so, you know, sending me all of those books. And it was just, I think that's something that's important to know is like these types of um, programs aren't free. And even if people just have the time, you know, of day to do it, it's still not free. Um, so I think noting that like these types of programs do need support too, um, financial support um, in order to really, really make the big difference in people's lives. Um, so that was really, really huge help for me too. Yeah, I can imagine. I just talked a little bit about this in the episode that came out the previous week. We're oh, recording yeah. this the same day that the episode came out, but yeah, because I was talking about like how I prepared to take the leap. And a right. huge part of that was like planning out my financials so that – Exactly. Yeah, so that it's like like obviously – maybe not obviously, but it's very hard to ramp up the number of athletes you have very quickly. Yes. And like because onboarding, as you know, is like a huge like lift up front. Totally. Yeah. Um, so even if like I had 20 athletes knocking at my door right now, I would probably not onboard them all right. at the same time. Onboarding so, is such a long process. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot involved, a lot of pieces. Um, all that to say, the financial support that this program um, gives is super helpful for someone Definitely. who just wants to make the leap. And like, you know, not all of us are coming out of a data science job that I've been working for a couple of years and had time to save up and everything. So totally. Yeah. I think that is something that's just, it's a little bit underlooked, I think, because we don't realize that like when you get into coaching, you don't have a guaranteed salary at all. Mm -hmm. You just are kind of, maybe you have a little bit of an idea like, okay, if I am able to onboard two, three athletes per month or whatever it might be, then I can be here by this point. But even that sometimes isn't guaranteed. So I think it, you know, as we are, looking at the endurance community or whatever community we want to uplift and say, hey, I want to see a more diverse community via whatever aspect it is, there is a financial portion to it. And I think that's really, really hard for a lot of people to grasp, um, but really, really important because if we want to see these changes, we need to see these big companies essentially making you know these kind of leaps and making donations or making programs like this um, in order to actually make the differences. I think it's really, really hard to actually make a difference if you aren't putting a little bit of financing into it too. Um, so that's something that I have tried to be a little bit more vocal about um, in some of the interviews that I've been in um, lately, just because I'm like, I don't want that to be overlooked. Like, yeah, it was really nice of Matt and Coach B and all of them to donate their time to me, but there was also a bigger portion of that too that made it possible. Yeah. And I just want to mention another thing we've talked about a lot. Um, for those of you out there who either are looking for a coach or maybe will be in the future, um, a lot of us struggle to charge what we ideally oh, yeah. want to charge. So just I would say, how am I trying to formulate this thought? Like pay your coaches what they're worth yes. and maybe a price point is too high for you personally. Um like then maybe try to work with the coach, but like we set our prices at what they are for a reason. So we can yes. make a living 
And for especially a lot of new coaches, which Jess and I have talked about a lot, especially with our own pricing, it's hard to increase your prices or, you know, set your price a little higher than you feel comfortable. But ultimately, like if we want to do this as a full time career, right, we need to make it sustainable for ourselves. So totally. Yeah, this was the conversation I had with Matt very early on, because I remember I think it was in maybe February, or maybe actually even January, I made my website and put my price on there. And Matt was like, this is way too low. Like you need to charge so much higher. (laughs) And I was like, well, I looked at all of these other coaches websites that I would say are probably on similar levels to me or are way better coaches than I am. And they're priced very low. So like what makes me think that I can price myself any higher than them. But in Mm -hmm. reality, we've talked about this a lot now is we shouldn't be pricing out the bottom of the coaching industry We want to, you know, obviously, like you said, make a livable salary off of this. Mm -hmm. This is our job and this is what we do full time. So we have to make it sustainable. And also, I think it's important to note that if you're charging very low, that's probably less time than you are going to be spending on each athlete. Um, And I really want to spend as much time as possible. I probably spend a little bit too much time sometimes on some of my athletes, which is okay. Um, You know, life comes up and, you know, we have to deal with things when they come up. But Um, that's all right. But essentially what I'm getting at is we have to price ourselves accordingly. Um, And if I want to pull my full heart into every athlete, then I need to price myself as so because I'm not going to be able to have a sustainable job, career. I'm not going to be able to stay in this industry if I price myself as low as I did when I first started. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So just want to point that out for any athletes out there looking for coaches. Just keep that in mind because like Jess said, there is a lot of variation in what coaches will charge. Um, And I feel like we kind of made a pact to increase our prices together. (laughs) We did. (laughs) Um, And I know we've looked around at other coaches a lot this year and been like, oh, their prices are kind of like a lot lower. Yeah. And And it it is still hard. Like I still have times now where I'm like, am I still priced too high? But in reality, Mm -hmm. that's not the case. Um, it's just, it can be a little bit hard. Um, but I think also on the note of like, if someone's looking out for a coach, I think it's also important to note to not be afraid to ask a potential coach, maybe why they're priced where they're at, Mm -hmm. how many athletes do they have at a time? Um, you know, what kind of time of day do they devote to each athlete? Um, ask some questions like that, because I think that can be pretty telling too. Like, you know, is this person actually priced correctly? Like, do they only talk to you once a week or once a month? Um, Mm -hmm. do you have like maybe daily interaction or even weekly interaction with the, with the coach? Um, it's important to ask those questions and they shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable either. Like I'm a pretty much an open book when it comes to these things, but we should, it should be, you know, an open conversation um, with the athlete, um, whenever that stuff comes up. I agree. And along those same lines, I think a lot of athletes feel like they can't ask coaches, like, why am I doing this workout? Yes. And like, those are very valuable questions. If you're not sure why you're doing something, you can totally ask your coach. And like most coaches won't take that as right. an attack. For sure. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Because um, obviously sometimes I get caught in this mindset where like I have all this knowledge because, you know, I'm in the field and then I forget that other people don't also have the knowledge. So then when an athlete asks me, I'm like, oh, right. Duh, you're not trained in this like I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it isn't most most coaches' first instinct to be like, 
this is why you have an easy day on this Thursday of this training block or whatever it might be. Like, you know, it isn't necessarily our first inclination to explain every single thing out, but Mm -hmm. I also want you to be able to ask me. So I think that's why, especially with my athletes, I really, really push, like, ask me a lot of questions and schedule meetings with me, like video meetings so that we can actually have a conversation. Because even sometimes via email or even in the training log, like we can have a bit of a conversation, but we can't have a full you know, way to explain all the little details and things. So it is just nice to check in, even check in on like what your stress levels are like or anything like that. Um, And that's really important to me as a coach. Um, And that applies to all things. Please ask me all the questions that you can. If I can't answer it, I'll find a way to answer it or find an answer for you somehow. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's really important is you should be able to feel like you can talk to your coach about just about anything, ask them anything too. Um, I think that's also something that's important if if someone is looking for a coach do you vibe with them right away too like is this somebody that you could tell all of the dirty details about your life because unfortunately a lot of times we can't separate training and life it would be a lot easier if we could but that is a beautiful thing about coaching too is i think you get to see all of the details about people's lives um and seeing kind of what they're going through all the stories that they they get to tell during their training cycle um and i think that's important too is if you're looking for a new coach is this potentially someone that you could confide a lot of things into? Yeah, definitely. The communication between athlete and coach is like the most important part of the relationship. Totally. Yeah. Because if you are paying for a coach, you're paying for hopefully tailored training to you in your life, but you can't tailor training if you don't know how was that person's work life today or what was their work week like this week. Um, I think that's really, really important. It's something that gets missed sometimes with even with, when I work with new athletes, I have to push them and be like, how's life going? <laughs> like, maybe this workout didn't go very well, but what was your work day like? Like, and asking a lot of questions like that, because it isn't always intuitive to them, of course. I don't expect it to be, to be like, yeah, this is runner me and this is work me. And I keep them separate. But in mm-hmm. reality, they're they're not separate. They're the same person. You're the, you're just one human um, doing all of these activities um, so that's something that I really push with them a lot, especially new athletes. I tend to pound them with questions a little bit about like, oh, yeah, great workout. How's work going today or something like that? Because <laughs> um, it really is, like you said, the communication portion is really, really important. Yeah, the more you communicate with your coach, the better training plan you can get. Totally, exactly. So I always say there's no such thing as TMI Yes. Or too many details or you're never writing me too much. Some people write, I actually had someone today who was like, sorry, I wrote you a whole book in the training log. I'm like, actually, I like that. Thank you. <laughs> I know it is funny. I've noticed this a lot with some of my athletes. They'll be like, oh, because I use Slack a lot. They're like, sorry, yep. I Slack you so much. I'm like, this is literally the purpose of yes, Slack. So you exactly. can contact me whenever you need me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that's important too, is like, it also comes and goes like, Mm-hmm. We might have a week where we talk like a lot because you're going through something with whether that's life or maybe an injury or something like that. So we need to communicate a lot more. But then sometimes we'll have a week or two where things are going great. And it's like, yeah, I'm good. Workouts are great. Life is good. That's all. <laughs> um, so, it, it, you know, it should come in, you know, in waves like that. That's because that's how life works, too. It's not always going to be perfect all the time. It's not hopefully not always going to be bad all the time either. So, you know, that's that's the important part is the communication rate, I think, should kind of vary depending on how athletes doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have noticed, I'm sure you've noticed too, some athletes are just more comfortable with more communication and some are like sure. 
I'm cool with just, you know, checking in a little bit, but doing my own thing. And that's totally. Like, totally fine too. Yep, definitely. There's definitely huge variation in athlete communication, right? Just based off of their personalities or what they want to do or what they want out of coaching. Sometimes mm-hmm. people are like, I just want a training plan and like, that's all. <laughs> and like maybe tailor it based off of how I'm feeling in the workouts, but that's all I really want. So that's mm-hmm. cool too, if that's what you want. Um, but I usually just tell people, just know that like, I can do my job a little bit better if you tell me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure how we got here, but that was yeah. a great conversation. <laughs> <It was>. <laughs> <laughs> um, wrapping up Coaches of Color Initiative really quick. So this year they changed it. Is it quarterly? There will be a new person? Yeah, I, so I, it's every nine months. So I think that totals out okay. to three per year. Um, so at any point, yes. we'll at least have one person. Um, and then at the busiest point, we'll have three um, apprentices all at once, um, which is really cool. Um, so it's exciting to see the new people be added on and hopefully very soon one more person too. Um, so it's just been really cool to see kind of, it almost feels like a family and like the family's mm-hmm. just expanding, um, which I think is really neat um, about it being, you know, it is a small program um, and it is something that they were kind of doing almost on the fly during my apprentice. Um, and we still are kind of, because we are so small. Um, so it is cool to see the way that it's been evolving. Um, and it's, it's, it's been really neat to kind of learn from my, my um, apprenticeship and be able to apply those things to the, the new people coming on. Yeah. And one of them is Marae, right? Yes, it is. I'm so excited for her. Marae and Jared are the two um, new apprentices. Um, and it's just been really neat to see them kind of be welcomed into the family because it's really cool how, how you know, close we all get. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I don't know Jared, but Marae was one of the Endeavor Run participants yes. at Boulder and San Diego. Yes. <laughs> um, and I've been following along with her new coaching Instagram, which is yeah, really exciting. So exciting. <laughs> yeah. So very exciting there. Um, for anyone who might be interested, I'll link in the show notes, the site, because um, application sh- may be opening soon. Yes. For I the next one soon. I think, I think maybe next month I could be wrong, um, but yeah, very soon here. Um, so definitely stay updated. And we have an Instagram page too, that actually puts up um, when the applications open too. So that would be a better resource than I am probably. <laughs> yeah. I'll link both of those. And if I remember correctly on the site, there's also an option if you want to donate money, right? Yes, there is. <laughs> Perfect. So we'll link all of those. Um, thanks for sharing your experience with that. Yeah, of course. Always happy to talk about it. It's such a great program um, and I can't talk enough about it, honestly. So thanks for letting me talk about it a little bit on here. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's the first one I have heard of um, in the endurance space. Not that I know too much about the endurance space, um, but that kind of gets into what we talked about last time you were on the podcast totally. with the lack of other groups making steps in this direction. Totally. I think there are a few more um, kind of companies kind of, you know, grabbing on to similar ideas. I think I saw Brooks maybe um, started a woman of color coaching program, possibly. It might have been Brooks. I always do this. I'm like, I think it's this company. (laughs) And then I say it and then hope that it's right. Last time I was right. So hopefully I am this time too. (laughs) We'll check that after the recording. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to know though. Um, okay. Hard pivot. Let's talk about you. Yeah, my favorite part. <laughs> I know. Intended there. <laughs> I'm forcing you to talk about yourself for once as you are the guest on the podcast. And... <laughs> yeah, I guess that is how this works. <laughs> yeah. And the topic is not something that is, I wouldn't say separate from you, but not, you know, 
all about you and your running. So let's talk. Let's where where should we start? Do you want to start with your running goals for the year, or do you want to talk about your most recent fifty k win? Oh. How about we start with running goals for the year? Because I think the 50K um, kind of goes into that. It was a training race, essentially, for some races that I have coming up. Um, a training so, race? Yeah. One? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a fun day. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, yes. we can talk about some goals for the year. Um, honestly, I don't like to think of it this way, but I think this year is kind of a bit of a redemption year from last year. Um, mm-hmm. So last year I ran like Sonoma 50 um, DNF'd at mile 38, I think. Um, I essentially, I found out that I had the flu during the race and I found out at mile 25 <laughs> that I was not feeling very well and I couldn't figure out why. Um, I kind of just assumed like, oh, it's a 50 mile race. We don't feel good during a 50 mile race, right? Like things should feel wrong. <laughs> um, but it was not, not right. <laughs> there was something going on. Um, I essentially like my body just felt a little off. Um, and I couldn't pinpoint like, you know, when your knee hurts, you're like, it's this knee and you can point to it and be like, yeah, it hurts here. Um, but there was just something going on that I just felt like there's something going on here. It doesn't feel good. I don't know what it is. Um, but again, I just kind of put it off to, I ran 25 miles. Like I probably am not going to feel great anyways. Um, and things just kind of kept going downhill from there. Like then my stomach hurt and then like my head hurt and like all of these things started happening. And I essentially, I got really sick during the race. I was kind of throwing up on the side of the course, um, which is fine. Like I've thrown up during races before and have been okay. Like it wasn't ideal, but I finished the race and was okay. Um, but this I could tell was something totally different. It wasn't GI related because I've thrown up from GI issues before. I mean, it didn't feel like that. Um, so I essentially decided to pull out the mile 38. Um, and then literally like the next day I had all of your typical flu symptoms of like mm-hmm. headache joints, my hurting, body fatigue, all of those things. So I took like three COVID tests and they were all negative, but I almost wonder if I had like some sort of strain of COVID or something um, because I was just very, very sick after that. Um, So that happened. um, And I was like, Lake Sonoma has just been one of those races that has been on my list for so long. I remember I like, I don't remember how old I was, but I was running on the treadmill in Iowa in the middle of winter and doing what I do best, watching ultra um, ultra running documentaries on YouTube. Um, and I saw a documentary about Lake Sonoma, and I knew, like, someday I want to run this race. Um, this was, like, way before I moved to San Diego. Um, so I just knew, like, Lake Sonoma was going to be one of those races that I want to run someday. Um, so for me, it wasn't necessarily a redemption to sign up for the race again this year. It was just, like, dang, I really wanted to run this race and I DNF'd. <laughs> um, so I really just want to check it off my list. Um, so there's a lottery system for this race. So I just threw my name in the lottery and was like, we'll see what happens. We'll let the lottery decide if I get to go back this year or not. Um, and I did get picked for it. So yeah, that's kind of been my A race for this year, last year and this year, <laughs> um, hopefully for real this year um, now. So yeah, that's why I ran this 50K um, this last weekend on Saturday. Um, it was kind of just a training race leading up to Lake Sonoma. Um, I ran it last year too, prior to Lake Sonoma. So it was just kind of like the exact same buildup as last year. Um, so it was really cool. Um, it was a really good race. It's out in the desert here in San Diego County. Um, it's one of my favorite race companies in the area. Um, second wind trail running. Um, the race director is a super, super nice guy. Um, and yeah, I just kind of knew like last year, the race went really, really well. It was kind of a breakthrough 50K for me. 
Um, I think I PR'd by like 40 minutes or something last year in the 50K. Um, and this race is really interesting because it's in the desert. So the weather's, you know, desert-like. It's pretty hot. Um, this year wasn't too bad, though. Um, but the race is interesting because the first half is very, not easy, but pretty easy going. Um, and the second half is really, really hard. <laughs> so the first mm-hmm. half, you're like kind of going up very long, gradual uphills and downhills. Um, nothing too steep. And then you, at halfway, you kind of get on some single track in the desert. Um, it's all pretty sandy and, and dirty. Um, and then you go up this like really big climb, um, like some switchbacks. And then you go all the way down this canyon for like two or three miles. And then you turn around and you go back up it. <laughs> um, oh so going back up it is always a very interesting experience. And I remembered from last year. I knew about it, but I wasn't expecting it to be as big as it was at the climb. Um, so this year I was a little bit more mentally prepared for it, but it was still really, really hard. <laughs> um, so this year I decided we're just going to send it. Um, I had some things happen pre-race that I was not expecting to, to perform very well, honestly. Um, so I didn't sleep very well. I woke up at midnight um, the night of the, or I guess the morning of the race. And I had really bad stomach cramps, um, cause I knew I was supposed to be getting my period soon. Um, got it the next day after the race, but yeah, it was like coming very soon. <laughs> um, so that wasn't very fun and I wasn't feeling great. And then finally fell back asleep. And then at 2 AM, um, like an hour and a half before I was supposed to wake up, I hear a large crash in our bathroom and I was like, Oh God, what's going on? So I got up and go to the bathroom and one of our ceiling tiles fell through the ceiling because our roof had been leaking. It was raining all night. <laughs> so I was at 2 a.m. the morning of the race, <laughs> like mopping up all of this water with towels and putting bowls down to like collect all of the water from the ceiling. <laughs> so oh there I am, like admittedly, like I had tears willing in my eyes and I was like, I have to run a race soon. <laughs> like, why am I doing this right now? Um but I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. No tears, no crying. Um, so I really had to like really be um, be like cognizant about having a positive attitude about this. Like, okay, it's going to happen. You know, the race is still going to happen no matter what happened to me this morning. So I went and lay down and I could not fall back asleep. But I had to wake up at 3.30 anyways because it was like, quite a drive to get there. So I just laid in bed and just like stared at the wall and was like, I am resting. I'm not sleeping, but at least I'm resting. So we're doing that. Um, And I remember just laying there and being like, my body just feels like crap right now. Like nothing feels particularly good. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be running a 50K today. And I remember my quad was like very crampy as I was laying there in bed. And I was like, that's not going to be good for later, but it's fine. Just going to keep this positive attitude going and just going to just going to do it. Um, so then finally 3.30 rolls around and I get out of bed um, and kind of move on with my day. Um, but I remember being like, this is about to be such a crappy race. Um, and just really having to be like cognizant about, okay, stop saying that, Jessica. <laughs> like, yeah, it's been a crappy morning, but that doesn't mean that this race has to be bad. And I remember I was like 30 minutes from the race driving and I was like, we should just send it today. Like, it's been a bad day today. <laughs> we just should, you know, send it, you know, go fast, do what we can kind of run at the top end of what we think we can do today. Um, and just see what happens because if I bonk and if it's a bad day, it's honestly right on par without the day started anyways. So we might as well just go for it. Um, and I did not bonk. 
um, I didn't feel particularly great at, you know, some of the points in the race, but it's a 50K, so we normally don't feel super good anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went out pretty fast. Um, I think I ran the first half a little faster than I probably should have, um, but it wasn't too bad. Um, and then I had the canyon portion, did that. Um, I think what was really nice about this race is it's a double out and back, which I know a lot of people don't like out and backs, but I love out and backs because you get to see everybody on the course many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was really fun. I got to see everybody cheer for them. Um, one of my like process goals for the race was to just acknowledge everybody on the course and like say the good job or give them a thumbs up or smile at them or whatever it might be. Um, and that really, really helped, I think, pull me through like, some of the, the hard portions of the race. Um, so that was really nice that I got to see everyone out there. And yeah, it went really well. Um, I ended up winning for women. Um, I think I got second overall and I finally got that course record. Um, last year, I was like three minutes, I think, away from the course record. And I didn't know at the time. I didn't know until after I had finished that I was so close to it. And I was kind of mad at myself because there were a few portions last year of the race where I was kind of dilly-dallying and just like, oh, look at that flower. And like my husband ran the race. Um, he ran the marathon. So the the courses kind of meet up at some point. So I walked with him for a little while and like just did a bunch of things that I was just doing to have fun. And then I finished and found out that I was only three minutes off of the course record. And I was like, I had three minutes in me. Like there were definitely more than three minutes that I was just like dilly-dallying around on the course. So this year I was like, let's go for it. We'll see what we can do. Um, and I think I got it by like three minutes. Um, so that was pretty cool. So Dang. it was really nice. It was a good check-in to see. It was definitely a confidence boost, especially considering the race did not start off the way that I thought it would. Um, so I, I think it'll be cool to go into Lake Sonoma with that. So that was a, a long story of why I ran a 50K this weekend um, leading up to my goal of Lake Sonoma in just like three weeks here, I think. Um, so, so exciting close. stuff. I know, so close. It's on April 8th. Um, so yeah, that's kind of all my A goals that I have planned out for the year. Um, I know we talked about this a little bit already over text, but I also would like to run a road marathon, I think, this fall. Um, yeah, so that's going to be interesting going back to the road. That's been a little while. Um, but yeah, I think my goal is to break three hours in the marathon. Um, that's something that's kind of been like in the back of my head for a while. Something that's been like speaking to me of like a goal to kind of try and reach. Um, I think honestly, the reasoning behind that is um, I think in 2021, I ran, that was when I ran my last road marathon in San Diego here. Um, and I honestly had a really, really crappy build up to it. <laughs> um, I think just like, it was a lot of things with like mental health. I think I was experiencing a little bit more anxiety than normal and just was having a really, really hard time doing my runs, getting out the door. Um, I remember my like peak long run I had put off for like a week because I just like, I couldn't get out the door. Like it was so hard for me to like fathom running 20 miles. Um, so I like put that off for a week. I was like barely scraping by, um, in terms of like that, what I wanted to do for that training plan in particular. Um, and I still managed to like run a PR in the marathon, um, on a, it was a really, really hard course too. It was in San Diego here. So after that, I was like, I barely scraped by with this training plan and I still PR'd. And something about that made me like really, really hungry to see what I could do if I could string together a better training plan. Um, so I'm definitely in like a much better place mental health wise than I was at that point. So um, I'm like kind of like, oh, we should just do this. We should try and see if we can break three. Um, so that's kind of honestly where I'm at. It's just been something that's been speaking to me and 
I would like to do some longer ultras next year. So I figure why not work on some speed this year? It's, it's a good time so that we can kind of focus on something longer next year. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I haven't picked a race yet for that, but hopefully something in the fall. Um, I was hoping for CIM, but I think I have some other things planned that same weekend now. So we are looking for a fall marathon to run something that's good for PR. So if there's anybody with suggestions out there, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyone who knows, I, as most people know, I'm not a road marathon person. I don't (laughs) know that much. Road race person, you and your 5Ks. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's very different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would actually rather run a marathon than a 5K. 5Ks are so painful. (laughs) They are very painful. Um, I want to go back to part of your story. First of all, there's so many little nuggets in your the story you just told. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just want to say that for everyone out there. One thing I want to point out, um, which I know we've talked about before, is you mentioned you got your period the day after race yes. day. Mm-hmm. And I know I have probably beat this dead horse a lot <laughs> with the cycle thinking talk lately, but that it's just important. goes to show, yeah, like – Technically, according to everything that's out there on social media, at least, like you would have been in your worst phase to race and you won and got a course record. So Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I think first thing I should say is I don't cycle sync. Um, I do keep track of my menstrual cycle like very closely. I like to know like what phase I'm in at what what point. Um, So I do track it, um, but I don't cycle sync. Um, I do um, like RP basically based, um, workouts. So anytime I'm always going based off of effort. Um, so if I have a bad day where I don't feel good, then I just run a little slower, um, or I don't push as hard or whatever it might be. And the reason is like, for example, this race landed on probably the worst day that was possible in my cycle the day before I got my period. Um, and I don't particularly have like super, super bad PMS, but Obviously, like I said, my cramps did wake me up at midnight um, before the race. So it was still, it was there. And I think that was probably why I was experiencing some of like, like my quad cramp um, was very unusual, just kind of weird muscle feelings going on. Um, So I'm assuming that was probably cycle related because I can't pinpoint any other part of my training or anything like that that would cause it. Um, So it definitely... I knew in the race that I wasn't going to be feeling super well. I actually thought maybe I might get my period during the race. So I had my little emergency period pack in my vest <laughs> the whole race too. Um, so I just knew like, okay, yeah, this might happen. So we just have to be prepared for it. Um, but I knew in my training, I've run hard workouts on this day many times before. I've run hard workouts on my period many times before. Um, so I was prepared both mentally. I think that's the key portion is being prepared mentally mm-hmm. for it. Um, but also physically, like I just knew, like I've pushed hard on this day. Um, so I know that I can today too. Um, so that, I think that was a really key portion. And like I mentioned a lot, like just got to have a positive attitude about all this thing. That's all these things happening right now for my race. Um, and it, it helped that I had practiced it before in training. Um, and that's something that we talk about a lot. Um, and why we aren't really big proponents of cycle syncing because the mental portion is, is so key. Um, I think if you count yourself out or say, if I would have been like, well, it's the last day of my luteal phase or potentially day one. Um, so I'm, I'm out like <laughs> this race is just gonna, just gonna be, um, I'm not going to perform well. Then obviously I wouldn't have, but the entire time I was thinking, okay, this is just another day. <laughs> it's going to happen. I'm going to feel the way that I am. So I'll just kind of do 
what I feel is right. So, you know, while I said, yeah, I think I may have started out a little bit too fast, that was probably just what too fast for that particular day. Um, you know, I think in any other day, I probably could have pushed even harder, but it was just kind of the cards that I was dealt and I was ready to, to, to play with them. So um, I think that's, that's really important. And that's one of the reasons, really the main reason why I'm not a huge fan of cycle syncing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And we are in total agreement there as everyone who listens yes. probably knows <laughs> from my totally. previous podcast episodes. Um, can you talk a little bit how you made the mental shift on that morning from like, everything sucks, everything's not going well to like, let's just send it and see what we can do. And also, can you talk a little bit about making your process goals? Because yeah. that is something I know as coaches, we work with athletes for sure. a lot because a lot of us don't think to make process goals. It's all about right. like, I'm aiming for this time, which is an yep. outcome goal. So totally. Yeah. I think really at that point, well, first off, I should note, like this is a race that I had been looking forward to for a while. Um, it's hmm. a really low key race in San Diego. I ran it last year, like I mentioned. Um, and I love the race director. I think he's super cool. And his family is is amazing. They put on amazing races. Um, so I was just really excited for the race. Um, I remember last year it was really really tough and it was really hot. Um, but the, the course was beautiful. Um, it's in the desert and I really, really love desert running. Um, so it's just something that I was like, man, like, <laughs> I'm sorry that all these things happened this morning, but I'm not going to let it, um, kind of ruin this day for me, especially since I've been looking forward to it. Um, and you know, I just, I just love the race itself. So I think that was a really big key portion to it. Um, and I think also like part of me was like, yeah, we have all these adult issues at home. Our ceiling's leaking. <laughs> the ceiling tile fell through the roof <laughs> or whatever. Um, I'm just going to forget about it because I just want to be a feral woman in the desert for the day <laughs> and just forget about all of my adult issues. So that's exactly what I did once I got to the race course. Yeah, of course, the roof was in the back of my mind because it was probably still raining in San Diego at that point. But at that point, I was like, there's nothing that I can do here for it. Like, I'm at the race. So I'm going to make the best of this day. Um, that was another key portion is I just wanted to be a wild woman in the desert with no home issues to worry about. Um, so yeah, I think that was a really key portion. And I think also, I think if a lot of people meet me in person, they realize like I'm a pretty positive person just attitude wise. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, like that's a conscious decision to make. Like it doesn't always come supernaturally to me. Um, so I have to be like, okay, yeah, there's all these things going on in the world and my house and my roof <laughs> and they're really crappy, <laughs> but you know, we can, you know, respond to it in different ways. And I think for me, I try my best to always have a positive attitude about most things. Um, so I think that's another just key portion is like, that's just how I'm going to try and respond to things most of the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I was at mentally. Um, so I just knew like, we have to make decisions today. That's going to make us happy. Um, and going to, you know, kind of suit us that way. Because like we mentioned before, the mental aspect is probably the most important. If I'm running up a giant climb and I feel like total crap, my brain's going to be the thing that's going to actually determine how I'm going to perform. Um, so that's kind of where I was like, okay, let's have a happy brain today, um, even if our body isn't the most happy. <laughs> um, so that's kind of also where a lot of my process goals um, kind of came in. Um, so really for me, um, Again, this was a training race leading for Lake Sonoma. So my first kind of goal was to um, test a lot of things out, test out my nutrition, some gear, um, things like that. Um, so that was kind of part of the process, like 
really stick to my nutrition plan because this is what I want to do at Lake Sonoma. And this is my kind of my one opportunity to try it out. Obviously, I do it in training all the time, but during racing, I don't know if it's my stomach's upset because I'm nervous or what, but <laughs> um, I usually tend to have a lot more GI issues when I'm racing versus during training, even if I use the same nutrition plan. So that was something that I was like, we really need to test this out now. <laughs> um, and then also um, one of my process goals that I mentioned was just to say hi to everybody on the course. Um, this is a great course for that. Like I said, it's a, it was a double out and back. So you literally see everybody at least once, um, usually twice. Um, so that's just something, it's just a good opportunity to be a part of the running community, see everybody. Um, that's actually usually a goal that I have for every race is to just say hi to everyone. Um, I think for me, it gets me out of my own brain and my own body for a little bit to like, just say hi to everybody else. Um, talk to people on the course when I can. Um, so I think selfishly, it's a little bit like, yeah, I want to say hi to that person because it like, for, like make me forget about how I'm feeling. Um, but also hopefully um, make them feel welcomed in the race, in the running community. I don't know if they're a new runner or a seasoned runner. So I'm going to just say hi to everybody. Um, and then I think one of my other process goals was just to, to send it and like see how I feel. Um, I wanted to check in and see like, okay, I ran the race last year. The conditions were a little different in terms of temperature, but overall I knew this year I was coming in a little bit more fit than last year. So I wanted to like see how it felt to kind of go out a little bit hard um, and then just check in with my body that way. So um, I'm a big supporter and like really try to advocate for people doing body checks during races. So like check in with how your quads are feeling or your feet or your big toe or whatever it is and just scan your body um, and see how things felt. And so that was something that I was like, every couple of miles, we should do a body check. Um, so hopefully for like Sonoma, you're kind of versed in that and know what that feels like and can decipher what your big toe feels like <laughs> during a race or whatever it might be. Um, so that was another thing that I was like, okay, let's, you know, test out these body checks, see how we're feeling um, every so often. Um, so that was kind of some of my process goals. Um, I did have essentially an outcome goal for this race, which was to PR from last year, but it was something that I just had in the back of my mind and never came um, forward and, you know, in ahead of my process goals. So I never got rid of my process goals in order to have an outcome goal. Um, but it was just something that I was like, hopefully if I do all of these things right, all of my processes right, the outcome goal will happen. Um, and that's something that, as you said before, I'm a big advocate of process goals. I think most coaches will be. Um, so hopefully you can use your process goals to reach your outcome goal. And that's essentially what I did on Saturday. Yeah. So I just want to reiterate that for everyone. We're not saying outcome goals are bad, yes. <laughs> but the process goals are the things you can control that will get you to the outcome goals, assuming everything goes well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, um, it's really important to be versed in all of those things, have them because then the outcome goals they happen and it's great, but then it's something that you have at least in your control is all the little processes that get you there. Because also, what if there was like a storm during my race and it poured mm -hmm. and the sand was really hard to run on because of the storm or whatever it might be? Like my outcome goal probably would not have happened because I was kind of tinkering at the edge of my um, performance at, on that particular day. Um, so it would have really sucked if I went in that race and my only goal was to break 4.30 when, mm -hmm. you know, in reality, the weather, like controlled weather, not that happened. But at least I had all of my process goals that I checked off and I could say, yeah, I did great on all of those goals. And even if my outcome goal didn't happen, 
I probably would have been fine. It wouldn't have been the end of the world by any means. <laughs> yeah, it just broadens the definition of success from like totally. I did this or I didn't do this to I did all these other things that right. I set out to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Lake Sonoma in three weeks, very exciting. Yes. <laughs> is And you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. I know some people – maybe don't like talking about their goals prior to a race. Do you have a specific goal or is it mostly just redemption from last year and like not blow up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't think I have any particular time goals. I think especially because this race is so interesting. There's a lot of vert. um, There's just a lot of things going on with this particular race. Um, So I don't have necessarily any time goals in particular. I think obviously I hope to get to mile 25 and feel good and Mm -hmm. surpass mile 38 um, and just finish. Yeah. Um, but I do, you know, I do want to finish strong though. I think I have had races before where like, if my goal was just to finish, then like, yeah, I did that. But I look back and I wasn't super proud of the race just because, you know, I didn't feel like I pushed as strong as I could or whatever it might be. Um, so I do want to like finish feeling satisfied. And I think that's something that I'm still figuring out. Like, what's that going to mean? <laughs> like, I want to be like very, very sore when I hit the finish line to the point where I feel like I can't walk. Um, and I will mm-hmm. be very satisfied if that's the case, but I don't really know exactly what that's going to mean um, in terms of like times or anything for this race. Um, so yeah, I think just going back. Um, and again, I don't necessarily think it's redemption. Like if this was any other race, I probably wouldn't have felt the need to go back. But since this mm-hmm. is like Sonoma, it is an experience that I've been dreaming about for a long time. It's just to like, finally just cross that stupid finish line (laughs) because you know thinking back to whatever five years ago Jessica I was running on a treadmill in the middle of winter in Iowa watching this race and like being like I want to run this someday walking watching a documentary about it and I was like I just want to run it and that's like the thing that I like just really want to get done so um yeah I think that's just kind of where I'm at um it's going to be interesting because I think it'll be a really competitive race this year um I think it's a world qualifier um, for like the top three finishers. So it'll be cool to see all of the pros running and seeing them do their thing and me many, 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 many minutes later after them <laughs> running by too. Um, so I think that's something too that I think will bring out good in me is like, you know, I'm a fairly competitive person. I know my place when it comes to those things. Um, but I also like think like if I have people to run with and have like people who are many, many miles ahead of me that will motivate me a little bit too, to just keep going. So I think that'll be cool. Um, it'll be really nice to see um, a lot of people pushing and hopefully help push me too. <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited to follow along and hear how it goes. Yeah. Thank you. It should be fun. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And we'll have to find you a fall marathon. Yes. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? Um, I I don't think so. I think that's kind of my goals for the year. I was interested. I was like, maybe we could run a hundred K this year um, and something like that. But I think I'm going to wait till next year. Cause these are things that I don't really want to push. Um, I feel like I'm still pretty young in the sport too. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of room for growth in, in terms of how long I hope to be in the sport, hopefully for many, many years to come. So there will always be hundred Ks. Um, but I think it'll be fun to kind of tackle some of the shorter distances right now. So yeah, hopefully marathon, um, maybe some more 50Ks or something. We'll kind of see how I'm feeling after Lake Sonoma. I feel like the recovery time um, for those things can sometimes be unpredictable. So listen to my mm-hmm. body, give it the rest that it needs after the race and eat a lot of pizza <laughs> and then yeah. um, hopefully train for a road marathon after that. <laughs> Exciting. Are there any 100Ks that 
you know in your mind that you would like to run one day? Um, I don't think I have any 100Ks in um, particular right now. I do know I would someday like to run the Havelina 100. Um, <gasps> I paced someone for it last year and will be pacing someone again for it this year. And it's just a race that's like so intriguing and cool. And the atmosphere there is so cool. So I would love to run that 100 someday, but I don't have 100K in mind. So I have my 100 mile race planned out, but not my 100K. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I feel like... We definitely hear, well, maybe not definitely. I hear more about the hundreds than hundred case. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're I like think more they well known, more yeah. popular for sure. Yeah, I think that's totally the case, and I think it's just also like kind of a a sexy numbers, like a hundred miles. <laughs> We're like hundred k, like yeah, in the United States, the k isn't as cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We're all here, like hundred k. How far is that? Yeah. <laughs> It's so funny whenever people like ask me how long a 50K is, they're like 35 miles. And I'm like, no, it's a little less, but it's fine. <laughs> it's a confusing number. <laughs> Depends on the race too. Yeah, Some of sure. them are. They are. Do I know? I'm trying to think. I th- one of my athletes, actually, I think she got lost on course and yes, <laughs> ended up sure. being 34 miles. For sure. Oh, no, we've all been but. there. That's happened to me multiple times this year. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, – I usually say for a 50K, it's probably anywhere from 29 miles to like 34 miles. And that's probably a good bet. (laughs) Yeah, I think my last one was just over 29. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's pretty typical, I think. But, you know, it's over a marathon. So it counts as long as it's over a marathon and less than like 35 miles. I think it's considered a 50K. (laughs) I agree. And at that point, I was so ready to be done. I was like, thank God there's not another mile to this. (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it's just like that (laughs) um cool well if people want to follow along with your journey or maybe inquire about coaching where can they find you yeah so my instagram is jess underscore schneer that's j-e-s-s underscore s-c-h-n-i-e-r rhymes with beer (laughs) um and then my website is smilesandmilescoaching.com um, yeah, that's the name of my business is Smiles and Miles. So if you just type in Smiles and Miles Coaching on Google, I should come up hopefully. Um, I also found out recently, sorry, this is a total aside, that if you just oh, type in it. Smiles and Miles, that like uh-huh. the Turkish Airlines, like the planes <laughs> have like a rewards program called Smiles and Miles. Oh my so God. you have to type in coaching. Otherwise, you're going to find the Turkish Airlines instead of me. <laughs> That's so funny. That's a good name for a rewards program. Yeah, it is. I'm very, very keen on that. So maybe someday I'll have to join that that rewards program. <laughs> the Turkish program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I'll link those in the show notes so anyone can just click very easily and find you. But thank you for joining me again, as thank always. You. Thanks for having so me. So fun. Yeah, so fun all the time. <laughs> I know. So many giggles, so much good conversation. Yes, totally. Lots of giggles all the time. I think that's just you and me summed up. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review everything you do for podcasts wherever you listen to them. It helps me out immensely and helps other people find the show and just spread my message. 
And if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram or TikTok at Coaching Klutz. You can also find me at my website, coachingklutz.com, if you're looking for my coaching services or any of my running programs. And I will talk to you all next time.